Good morning. How's everyone? Good to see some of you guys here. Great. Awesome. Hi, Martha and Rob, or Cowboy. Rob. <laughs> Open up your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to go back over verse 11, which we touched on last week, and dive into verses 12 and 13. The one thing that we know about God is He doesn't do anything without a purpose. And the purpose of the church is to hold up the truth of His Word. The church is to be the institution on earth that is built by Jesus Christ Himself. And He said that when He builds this church upon this rock, that not even the gates of hell would be able to prevail. And so it, doesn't, it does not matter uh, if you have hundreds or thousands or just a handful. The church is the church. And it's the same promise to this church as it is to any mega church. It is the same promise that Jesus Christ gave to, uh, to, to every church member and uh, every church uh, that, that, uh, that is in the world. When I say church, I'm not talking about a building. We're not talking about the grounds of the church. I know that we say that a lot. I'm going to the church. And we kind of picture everything in our mind around the church. People walk in here after we've done all our remodeling, and they say, this is a beautiful church. And I say to them, you should be here on Sunday to see the real church, because you are the church. And you look marvelous, darling, marvelous. You're beautiful. Amen? Amen. Yeah. And so this is what the church is. The church is you. And this is the church building. This, the church basically means the called out ones. The uh, ecclesia is the name of the church. And, and you can hear that pretty much in the Spanish word of iglesia. But the ecclesia of the church is those that are called out, ek, are called out of the culture that they're in. And they've come to group together in like-mindedness to grow in the spiritual, the, the spiritual readiness that the Holy Spirit has given each one of us to become more like Jesus Christ. Your goal in life is to become more like Christ. The purpose of your life is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever, to bring glory to Him, to give Him the glory. I mean, He already has all the glory. God is, glor is glorious. Everywhere He goes, you see the, the glory of God. And what we are to do is to glorify Him by reflecting that glory to everybody else around us and reflecting what God has done in our life. So the church helps us to establish these, uh, these truths in our life. Our church helps us to keep accountable. Our church helps us to see, stay away from sin. And our, the church helps us to hold each other accountable to sin. If, if we are in sin, it is the responsibility of the church members to bring that to our attention. And so the true church of God uh, has this focus in this world, and because it is of God, and it is because it's going in the direction of God, the number one enemy of the church is Satan himself. He opposes everything that God has instituted. Everything that God has made, Satan has turned it around and has perverted it. Even the church or the so-called church. So there is this warning that we went over here just recently when we talked about the end times, we talked about the rapture. The very first thing that Jesus mentions in Matthew 24, in Matthew 24, when they ask him, tell us, master, when are all these things going to happen? When is it going to take place? Jesus said, do not be deceived. The very first thing that happens is this huge deception. And he's ta talking about the world. The world is so deceived that we already know that as the church. But Jesus Christ is talking about the church 
in itself that claims to be. He goes on to say a little while later, there's going to be a lot of false Christs. There's going to be some antichrists. There's going to be some false apostles. There's going to be some false uh, prophets. And there's going to be these counterfeit faiths that are going to be coming up. And they're going to uh, be able to manifest themselves in such a way that it would even be able to fool the elect if it was possible. And so that's the very first thing Jesus talks about. Then he talks about wars and rumors of war, earthquakes in diverse places. Then he talks about all those things that the book of Revelation has already showed us. But we have to be certain that we are in the right place and doing the right thing. And, and so when, when we're looking at the book of Thessalonians, the people in Thessalonica, as I mentioned before, Paul had just a little bit of time to deal with them, to talk to them and disciple them. He was run out of town and he was worried about them. He sends Timothy to go find out what's going on. And finally, he comes, Timothy comes back with his great report. Paul, you know what? Everything that we've taught them, everything that we showed them in the short amount of time that we taught them, they are just exploding. They're sharing it with other people and, and they're doing really well. There wasn't any problem. I mean, not like in, Corinth, Corinth, or any of these other places that Paul is just hammering away. As a matter of fact, if you go back with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, we'll see that Paul has this in verse 2 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. He says, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. Paul is saying, I don't have to try to correct you guys. You guys heard the gospel message from me and you guys picked it up and you guys ran out with ran out with it and you sounded it forth. That word is a, like the blasting of a trumpet. You guys weren't ashamed. You were taking this word that we gave you in the midst of all this persecution, in the midst of all this uh, this trouble that you were going through. And you guys took it with pure joy. In spite of the persecution, in spite of all the troubles and trials, in spite of all that was going on uh, against you guys, you guys took it and you continued to grow. And, and, and in verse 9, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. And so Paul is just... You know, I'm excited. I hear the good news. I was concerned. Timothy came back. He tells me what took place. And so there's, you're doing a great job. As a matter of fact, if we go to chapter 4, verse 1, one of the first times that he said, well, actually, he says it throughout the whole letter. He's talking about how these uh, Thessalonians are growing and developing, and Paul is proud of them and, and how they have gone from one, one step to the next of discipleship. He says in verse 1 of chapter 4, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you. And he's not commanding. He's not demanding. He's begging. He's pleading. I plead with you. Please. You know, it's it's something that we have to try to get across to you. And, and, and I pray that you can do this. 
we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do more and more. Paul says, you're already walking. You're already praising God. You're already pleasing God. But I want to urge you, I want to beg you, church, this morning, for you here at North Park and those of you listening online, I beg you and I urge you to walk in the way that you're walking, but I want you to do it more and more. And some of you are saying, well, I mean, I, I come to church already. I'm already here. I, I'm even listening online where I could be watching a football game. Uh, you know, I come back and I listen to the, the message and it's, you, you know, I'm already doing that, but I want you to do it more and more. Not just come to church, not just listen to the messages, but I want you to grow. See, the Thessalonians, they didn't have a Bible. They didn't have, well, the New Testament, I should say. All they had was this letter that Paul sent them. They had the Torah, the Old, the Old Testament, uh, the Tanakh, which includes the Torah. They had, they had the, the preaching and teaching of the disciples and the apostles. They had other words coming in that conflicted with what they heard. And so this is where Paul was trying to correct them. And he says to them, I want you to excel in this, is what some of your translations might say. I want you to grow in this. I mean, it's not just enough to come to church on Sunday morning and that's it. I want you to grow as you are doing. You're pleasing God already. And this is what it is that you've done just as you are doing that you do so more and more. And I bring that up because right after that in verse verse 1 of chapter 4, we go to our part of the scripture that we're going to be looking at today. And let's go to chapter 5, verse 11. Because in chapter 5, verse 11, we touched on this here just a bit of uh, this last week. And we were talking about the day of the Lord and the darkness in the night and how the dark people, the dark, those that live in the dark and those that live in the day and those that are in the night, those that are in the daytime, that how they, there's two opposing views. There's only two religions in this world. Only two. And, and it's those that live in the dark, those that live in the night, those that operate in the night, and those that live in the light or those that li- operate in the day. That's it. And so Paul is addressing these two groups. And then he says in verse 11, therefore, after he says that what they should be doing, how they should be growing, he says, therefore, verse 11, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Now, I want to share with you today and the next few weeks on what Paul is wanting, wanting them to do. He says, you're already doing this, you're already, but I want you to grow in it. I want you to excel in it. I want you to expound. You know, I don't want you just to be so, uh, to the, come to the point, where, okay, we've done that. What's next? No, you got to continue doing it. You got to continue growing. Men, we have a challenge for you. As, as uh, Ken had just mentioned a little while ago, we're going to go into a discipleship program. A discipleship ministry. I don't want to call it a program, but it's, it's a ministry where we're going to show you 11 essentials that every disciple needs to have. We're going to look at the life of Jesus, how he walked with his disciples, and we are going to go and we're going to do as Jesus did with his disciples. I mean, you know, without going out into the desert and all that other stuff. And, but, you know, but we're going to read the biblical teachings and the doctrine of discipleship and apply it to our life to be able to apply it to somebody else. You see, these men and women in Thessalonica, they heard the word and they shared it with somebody else and they shared that with somebody else and that somebody else shared it with somebody else and it exploded exponentially. The the person that shared it with that one person shared it with somebody else and that person shared it with somebody else and those two people are sharing it with two other people which makes four and those four people are sharing it with four other people that make eight. You see how this works? Now, 
This ministry of discipleship that we are going to begin, it's to cause and to help you to grow even more, to continue doing what you're doing, but doing it more and more. And I've already set out that I'm going to do this uh, starting in, I think it was October, right? Is that what you read, Ken? Okay, so I wanted to do it this Saturday. I'm, I'm ready to go. Let's go Saturday. I want to do it now. Uh, but starting in October, we're going to start this ministry. As a matter of fact, I want to probably meet a few times beforehand just to kind of give you an idea of what it is that I'm doing. I don't have a whole lot of time to do that today. But I've already said, look, I'm going to do this because this whole ministry of discipleship is designed to be one-on-one. So I just need one person. And I already got my one person. So, I mean, it's just me and this one person for one year. For one year, me and this person are going to go into the discipleship ministry and find out how Jesus discipled his disciples. And then next year, at the same time, each one of us are going to get one other person. Now, and, and the year after that, we're going to get two, uh, those, those two people, right, are going to get two other people, which will be four. And those people are going to get four other people, which will be eight. And those people will get four other people, which or eight other people, which would be 16. And by the fifth year, this is a five-year ministry project. In five years, we should be discipling, there should be 32 discipling men in this church. And I know that this is what, this is the biblical process of making disciples. My goal is in five years to have 32 discipled men. And their wives, of course, because the men are going to get, that are married, we're hoping that most of them are married, they have, they're discipling their wives as well. And, and they're bringing their kids. And so if there's 32 men in five years, that should probably be 64 people. If they have children, at least one other person, that's another 32. So, I mean, we're looking at 90, 96 people, almost 100 people that are here in church. That's just with one kid. And, you know, I know some of you guys got a bunch of kids and you got grandkids and everybody else. We're ready. We have a ministry program for the children. We need to start working on something for the youth. But I believe that in five years, in five years. Now, one of the things, something happened to me here just recently. And I don't want to make this about me, but something really just dynamic happened to me. Um, right before I turned 65, the government sent me a package saying you need to apply for Medi-Cal or Medicare. What is it, Medicare or Medicare? I don't know. But one of the two. I freaked out. I go, What? I got to apply for Medicare. Why? Why do I have to? Because you're 60. What? <laughs> I came to a, it was, it was an eye opener. I said, man, I guess I have to retire. And so, you know, I'm in my mindset. It's time to retire, I guess. And I thought, Lord, I can't retire. I won't retire. I'm not going to retire. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put aside all my other hobbies and ideas and thoughts that, that I don't want to invest any more time in those things. I want to go back to work. So guys, you guys got another pastor, okay, for another 65 years, if the Lord permits. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to do whatever I can to help you be discipled. Men, fishers of men. And I'm going to invest the rest of my life in doing that. This is a promise before you and a promise before God. I had to make that public in order to put myself on the, on the chopping block, either you do it or you don't. Otherwise, just get rid of me. You know, it's time for me to go, yeah, just go fishing. Go ride your motorcycle. You know, get out of here. Get out of the way and let somebody else that knows what they're doing do what has to be done. I know what has to be done. I'm just asking you to pray about your involvement. Because this is going to be a journey that is going to require you to commit to one year, 12 months, minimum. And if you continue 
for the next five years, you're going to be running the same kind of ministry with other men. And all you need to do is find one other person. But for one year, just me and you, just one year, okay? And hopefully within six months, you'll start getting this and you'll have somebody in there with you, but all that will come out later. You know, that, that's, that's just one of the areas. The doctrines of, excuse me, the doctrines of grace on Wednesday nights. We have two sessions. They're going to be both the identical sessions, two sessions. It's only for those that like to come in early and those that like to, you know, have to work and would have to come in late. I, I haven't gotten any requests yet or anybody, nobody, there's a few people that I know that are going to be there, but anybody else that wants to come in, they just need to let me know. I think we start this following week, right? Not this next week, but the following week. It's doctrines of grace. And it's doctrine that you need to learn. The fundamentals of the faith. These are fundamentals. These are basic fundamentals of the Christian faith that you should have under your belt. You need to know these things. And part of that discipleship is going to be these classes that you attend, plus the one on Saturday for men. And we're going to do whatever we can. Uh, the women are already doing their Bible study on Sunday morning. They're going to start a book club this Sunday. And it's not like your old traditional book clubs where they read these novels and harlequins and whatever. No, they're going to be reading doctrinal books and discuss them together. And so we, we are so concerned about that area of your spiritual growth that we're going to do whatever we can. If I don't retire, then my wife is not going to retire either. Okay? So I'm sorry, guys. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> I can't. Huh? I just started. Richard's, getting, Richard's leaving. Where are you going, brother? <laughs> I thought you got up here, so you're walking out. Where are you going? Come back here. <laughs> and so just get the word out. Because we're going to disciple men. We're going to disciple children. We're going to disciple... Let me, let me let you, just let you in on a little secret. In the New Testament, there's over 260 times that Jesus calls us, guess what? Uh, well, first of all, what do we call ourselves? Yeah, well, Christians, right? We are Christians. They all know we are Christians by our love. And we sing songs about Christendom, and we are Christians. This is a Christian church. Just got a call this morning, a guy that is Christian and wants to join our church, you know, bring his group. And I says, well, I'll have to talk to you about that some other time. But the, the point of what I'm trying to get at is that we use the name Christian as if that's a badge of honor, which it is. Please don't get me wrong. However, the word Christian was first used in Antioch by the outside world. They called us Christians to make fun of us. To make fun. You guys are just like those Cristianos, the little Christs. You guys are like the guy that got, you guys are just like that. You guys are going to end up just like that. You guys are just, you're nuts. Yeah, and they call us Christians if you want. And that's the name that we have taken on. But do you know what Jesus Christ called you? Over 260 times in the New Testament, Jesus Christ called you a Methetus, a disciple. That's Jesus' term. I, I heard somebody once say, a pastor say, you know, even if Christ were to come down today, Jesus himself, and he'd look at the word Christian and see the Christians out here, he wouldn't be a Christian. He wouldn't be one of those little crises. He wouldn't. He would be about making disciples. And I think we've taken a wrong turn somewhere and we focus on the word Christian when the word should be disciple. Where do you go? We go to North Park Baptist. Oh, are you guys Christians? No, we're disciples of Jesus Christ. That's what we are. There's more of that I need to get across to you. And so what Paul is sharing here, he says, okay, here's some things that I want you to grow into more. He says, number one, first of all, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 
he says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. So through that verse, there's a few things that Paul is trying to get across. And he wants people to understand that there needs to be some sort of teaching and admonishing. And, and uh, you know, there, there's things that the, the pastor or the leader should do. Number one, a shepherd, which is the one that takes care of the sheep, a shepherd labors for the flock of Jesus. A shepherd labors for the flock of Jesus. Paul says, who labor among you? Labors that, that work, that effort, the exhortation, the, uh, that brings on sweat, that brings on pain, that, that is tough to sometimes get into work real work work that causes you to get your hands dirty not just work from behind the scenes or work from behind the desk but work that is actually going into and you are receiving a bounty because of the work that you have put in how many times have you worked on your yard right you work on your yard because you want your yard to be well how many times have you worked in the home trying to straighten things out and after the day you're done you're you're pretty much exhausted because but but when you're done you look at your home it's wow this is beautiful i'm glad i did that and the bad thing is you got kids they run right through it and you got to start all over again <laughs> ask my daughter right right lisa <laughs> you, you got if you got if you got one like that that just tears it all you go outside you pull weeds you mow the lawn and it looks nice and edged and everything and guess what the very next week here comes those weeds again and there's the grass. You got to do it all over again. But after you're done, it's satisfying. You see what a shepherd does when he takes care of his flock. There's a lot of work that goes behind it. I've shared with you what a shepherd does as far as taking care of the flock, how he cares for them, how he sleeps with them, how he, he heals them, how he leads them, how he feeds them, how he keeps them away from certain things. Sheep are very stubborn animals. Sheep are very, I mean, they don't pay attention to a lot of the things that they're doing. Sheep will walk right over a bridge, uh, right over a cliff, and the next one will follow in suit, and the next one will follow in suit, and they're all just going, "Why? come on, it's not that bad, and they're all just jumping off and falling off. And the shepherd has to stop somewhere and just smack one of them and says, get back over here. Not only are you going to hurt yourself, but you're hurting the rest of the flock. It's a lot of work for the shepherd to keep up, and the, but this is his responsibility. And it's not for the lighthearted of heart, I should say. As a matter of fact, Paul tells the people in Thessalonica, when we went over it in chapter 2, verse 9, he says, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. Not only did I work, but man, I, I, I sweated it out as well. It was not just, you know, things that I did emotionally and mentally, but it was physical as well. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. And a, a leader, a pastor, a shepherd is to do such things. As a matter of fact, in 2 Thessalonians, Paul's going to tell us when we get there in verse, chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. Now we command, we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the, the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we are not idle when we were with you. Paul says, you already know this. You guys are already doing this. But I want you to stay away from those guys that are just, you know, eh, it's no big deal. I can go to church once a Sunday. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to be part of the ministry. You know, I don't even have to belong to the church. As long as I join and as long as I'm there, that's it. And Paul is saying, stay away from people like that. You know, because bad company, what? Corrupts good character. It's a lot easier to pull somebody down than it is to pull somebody up. And bad character, it, inevitably, it always pulls people down. And the best thing to do is just stay away from people like that, Paul says. 
because you need to understand that this kind of work that we do, it's, it's difficult, it's, it's, it's draining, but we, we do it, Paul says. Therefore, Paul, because you say in Acts 20, 31, therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Paul says, I was working at it. I was going at it. I was educating, educating for the, for the sake of your spiritual well-being. I, I was embracing you with the gospel and proclaiming the gospel and, and sending it out. And I, I established churches and, and I edified the believers. And Paul is saying, these are the things that I've done because I, I, I'm, I'm compelled. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. This is his goal. This is his mission. He left everything behind and he went forward. Number two. A shepherd's authority over the flock of Jesus Christ. See, the responsibility of the, the shepherd is to have authority over the flock. And this is not authority that the shepherd wants to lord over somebody. Let me just share a few things with you. And he says, and are over you in the Lord. You know, as you stand over, this is to stand before, stand in front of, and conveys the notion of authoritative presiding or leading or directing. This is the direction that the Holy Spirit, uh, by the power of God, is leading us to do. This discipleship ministry that we we are going to do is a long time in coming you know i've tried to do this on a one-on-one basis and i've done this you know somewhat effectively with some people but now it's time to get serious about doing this on a larger scale and learning these discipleship and, and understanding that you are being discipled not just you know come to class eat some donuts as a matter of fact man and, and i know you're going to be a little upset at me about this and that's okay i mean but we're not gonna have, it's not a breakfast okay it's not a pancake men's breakfast or steak and eggs men's breakfast. There, there's no food involved in this. I'll give you coffee, okay? How's that? I'll let you have coffee. But the donuts and all that, that's how. If you guys want to go out and have breakfast afterward, that's fine. You know, we're going to start early, early enough to be able to do something like that. But this is a, a moment of intense Bible study, of prayer, of understanding my role as a disciple. What is a disciple? Okay, I want to be a disciple. What does that look like? And I'm going to share those things with you as far as standing and directing and, and being over you in that sense of leading, not necessarily as a, as a heavy on your neck with my foot. Some of you guys won't put up with that. I know. I won't do that. <laughs> so so, uh, so this, is, this is what it is that we, we are led to do at this moment. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. The one thing Paul is getting across here, he says, you know, this is, this is required. I'm required to be faithful and to be able to be over you and instruct you and to lead you, Paul says, uh, that, that this is how you should regard us. Look at us as servants of Christ. That's who we are. See, because leadership is servanthood. You don't serve, you don't lead as the world leads with the iron fist. You don't lead as such. In 2 Corinthians 3, 5, and 6, this is not in your outlines, but it says, Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. You don't have to be sufficient. You don't have to be educated. You don't even have to know the Bible all that well. All you need to be is be a believer. You're a believer, great. That's all we need. 
You don't have to go to school. You don't have to read the Old Testament. You're going to have to read the Bible, of course, but you're not going to have to read it in Hebrew. You're not going to have to read it in Greek. I just want you to read the Bible, come, and let the Holy Spirit lead you and develop you. You see, because this is not something that I've claimed upon myself. My sufficiency and everything that I know comes from God. He's taken my experiences and everything that I've done, and He's placed me in a position to be able to learn these things. You know that I didn't even finish high school. I got kicked out. They told me, you know, Mr. Martinez, you're done with your education. I'm just a junior. No, you're done. You can go home now. And I don't need you guys, you know. I, 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 they, they threw me out. And uh, I, went to, I went to college right after that. I figured, okay, I'm gonna, I got my GED. I went to college. And the only reason I went to college was to get the financial aid. And uh, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't do school. I couldn't sit through it. But, you know, the moment that I surrendered to the irresistible grace that was, ir- that was irresistible, I-, I just knew that God had a call on my life. I remember the day I got baptized. And I, it was a baptistry like back there. And there was two stained glass windows on both sides. And uh, that was for the women and this was for the men. I came out and I fell on my knees. I said, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. I'll do it. And it was just a matter of my pastor at that time was very heavy on discipleship. That was his heart. And he discipled us. And he had men come along and disciple a bunch of us. And a bunch of us got discipled. And a bunch of us went and became pastors and did all kinds of stuff. I took it a step further. I went to Cal Baptist. I went to seminary. I, I, you know, because I wanted to, I'm still learning. I'm still learning. And I want you to be in the same shape to be able to learn more so. It's not a journey. It's not a destination. It's a journey. Look at in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 4, And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. I didn't just all of a sudden say, okay, I'm going to be a pastor. That was the last thing I wanted to do, to be a pastor. In 1 Peter, it says, Shepherds of the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in, char- in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Number three, a shepherd admonishes the flock of Jesus. Admonishes. Now the word admonish kind of sounds harsh, and it sounds almost like if it's, he's beating you up, but the word admonish really is more instructing, teaching, uh, it's more of a, it's used in the New Testament to, to be able to, to, to understand what it is that you are trying to get across to some people and, and getting the complex that you can of, of scripture or whatever it is that you're doing and, and make it understandable for others to be able to read and understand. This is how Paul went, went about getting this done. He says, therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years, I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone. And you know what? He just didn't stand here and pontificate and pound it on people's heads. You sit still while I instill. He did this with tears. He begged them, look, guys, you got to see what the Bible says. Look at what, look at how the Old Testament portrays what happened to Jesus Christ. Look at how it just, it, it flows. Everything that the prophets told us about came true in Christ. And it's coming true through the church. And Paul was, look, and Many of the people were like the Bereans. They took their Bibles and they examined the scriptures to see if what Paul was saying was true. But Paul says, you know, a day and night. And he was teaching. One time he, he taught all night long. All night long he taught. And there was a guy that was sitting up on the third floor and his name was James. No, I'm sorry. His name was Eutychus. <laughs> or his name was Ken. His name was Eutychus. And he's up on the third floor and he fell asleep. 
And he fell asleep and he fell out the window, three stories, fell down, broke his neck. Paul rushed out there and he says, in the name of Jesus, you're healed. And he got up and he was alive. Okay, get back up there because I ain't finished preaching. <laughs> get back up there because I'm not done. You got to hear the rest of this. And he would go and go. Some people said, man, you got some long sermons. You think I got long sermons? You ought to hear Charles Spurgeon. You ought to hear John MacArthur. You ought to hear some of these guys. I mean, they go on and on and on. Deep, sound theology that changes people's lives. In 1 Corinthians 4.14, it says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. You know, I, the, the, the pastor, the leader, should not be trying to embarrass his congregants. He should not be trying to, you know, make them ashamed. But that's what happens when our sin is called out. When our sin is called out, that's what happens. People get all offended. And Paul says, I'm not trying to do this to you to offend you. And I know it's offensive. Because it's a sin, what you're doing, and you know it's a sin. And you know you shouldn't be doing this. I'm doing this because I love you as my beloved children. As a parent would do to a child. You know, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. I remember the first time I started having to do that. And it did. After a while, I kind of liked it. You know, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> After a while, I like beating my kids. <laughs> no, it, it should always be in love and not in anger. Look at in Colossians 1.28. Again, not in your outlines, but him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. The, the reason that admonishment is important, the teaching is to help you to grow and mature in Christ. Your maturity is very important to this church. Your, your maturity is very important to Christ. He wants you to be more like him. God desires for you to be more like him. You were predestined to be conformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Then Colossians chapter 3 verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This is something that we do on a regular basis that you will learn how to do as you teach and admonish one another. One another. You have to admonish people around you. Teach them. Show them. And again, it sounds almost like a negative term, but what you're doing is you're building them up. Building them up. Uh, again, not in your outlines, 1 Corinthians 4, 14. I do not write these things to make you ashamed. Oh, I already read that. But to admonish you as my beloved children. I think that needed to be stated again. <clears throat> okay, so on the back of your outlines, those, those are the three things. The, shep the shepherd labors for the flock. The shepherd has authority over the flock of Jesus Christ. And the shepherd admonishes the flock of Jesus Christ. Now, on the back of the outline, this is the response of the sheep. Okay, number one, the sheep respect the shepherd of Jesus. In chapter, 12, uh, chapter 5, verse 12, it says, We ask you, brothers, once again, Paul is beseeching, he's begging, he's, you know, he's not demanding it, but he's saying, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. So the first thing Paul is getting across is respect those that are over you. Respect them because, you know, they, they, they've done things that, that, that some people just take advantage of. There's been so much disrespect toward the pulpit, toward the leaders of the church, so much disrespect, because most of the time, they're just trying to be simple. They're trying to be as, as best as they can, getting the Word across. And all they have is what the Word of God says. And, and, you know, when you are leading a band, 
And when you're leading a group of people, the musicians, your back is always toward the audience. And that's where all the arrows come from. And, and as, a, as a shepherd and as a leader, Paul is saying, respect them. Okay, you know, you respect them. And of course, you want to you wanna judge them. You want to be able to, because judging is biblical, and we'll go over that some other time. But this is something that you have to weigh. You know, is this man or this leader doing the things that are biblical? Or is it just evident that this man is in sin? And I was, you're telling me I'm supposed to respect that? Well, if the person is in sin, you confront him. If the person is not doing his responsibilities, due diligence, you, you, you talk to him. You, you, you reason with him. You, you share scripture with him. You, you know, but don't, you don't disrespect the leader. You don't. I mean, this is one of the things that happens in a lot of churches. People think that they know more than anybody else. People have gone off and tried to start churches, and they come back later and say, you know, it's, this is a lot harder than I thought. You know, because people are people. We're all sinners. And uh, the church, somebody once said, you know, the church is so good. I mean, it's great being a pastor of a church. The only thing is, is that I wish I could get rid of all the people. But then you're not a church anymore. <laughs> if I can get rid of all the people, it'd be great. To live up above with the saints that I love, oh, that will be glory. But to live down below with the saints that I know, oh, well, that's a different story. <laughs> you know, in heaven, we're all going to be perfect. Here, we're not. And your pastor is confessing to you that he's not perfect. And some of you already know, yeah, I know that. <laughs> I know that. And it gives me pause. No, I don't know if it does or not. But the, the point is, is that you respect, you appreciate that person, that leader, that that pastor that you have, to know them in such a way that you would be able to grow with them. Let the elders, 1 Timothy 5, 17, let the elders who rule be considered worthy of double honor, is what Paul is saying. Especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Paul, even though Paul is talking here about uh, financial assistance that you give the pastor, but I'd like to just look at this and say, you know, when you have a pastor that's over you and you need to follow his lead, God's the one that appointed him there, unless you can see that he's self-appointed. And most of the time, that's what happens to some pastors. But if the pastor is there, you respect him. You, you follow his leadership and give him the double honor because of the teaching and the preaching that is being done. Now, once again, let me go back to the very beginning of what we started at today. I, I'm not sharing with you things that I think you should do I'm sharing with you that what you're doing already, continue doing it. But I want you to grow in it because it gets a little deeper next week. We start talking about each other, you know, how you do it with, amongst each other. But here, it's not that I am or anybody should be looking for this double honor or this. But here at the point, what Paul is saying, just continue doing what you're doing. Give them the double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. 1 Corinthians 16, 18, For they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. People that are giving this refreshment, that refresh you with the word, that refresh you with their counsel, that refresh you over prayer as they communicate with you and they talk with you and they share with you. Philippians 2, 29 also says, Honor such men. Number two, the sheep esteem the shepherd of Jesus. The sheep esteem the shepherd, uh, the shepherd of Jesus. The word esteem means to regard, to think about very highly, uh, beyond all measures. You think highly of them. The problem is that I know that there are a lot of shepherds that, you know, they're not thought really highly of. As a matter of fact, they're thought very lowly of. They, they seem to not measure up. 
uh, for whatever reason. Either they take advantage of the congregation and the sheep, and, or they either, uh, you know, do the things that, that are unethical. And, and sometimes, sometimes leaders do that. They take advantage of, of their position, and, and they seem to want to lord it over somebody instead of serve somebody. But the sheep are to esteem them very highly, is what Paul says. And, and what you're doing here is you're showing, but you do this, you do this in love. You do this in this agape love. Okay, I'm going to esteem you not because of what you've done for me. Now, okay, when you do this, then I'll give you the love back. No, in love, in the agape love, unconditional. Unconditional is what Paul is saying. You esteem these leaders over you because of their work, because of the things that they do. Galatians chapter 4, verse 14, not in your outlines again. And though my condition was a trial to you, and, and Paul is talking about his condition. We don't know what condition he's talking about. But more than likely, it looks like he was talking about his eye condition. And this is where we get the idea that Paul's thorn in the flesh. You remember when he prayed three times that God removed this thorn from his flesh? One of the reasons that Paul prayed that and one of the things that could have been his problem, his ailment, is that he had bad eyesight. And eyesight to the point where, uh, where he was left for dead, hit with stones, hit with rock. Maybe his, his head was hit and his, somehow his vision got blurred. He couldn't see. Somewhere down the line we'll read in, in, in one of the gospels where, excuse me, one of the epistles where he says, look, this is me writing. Can't you tell by the huge letters that I'm using because he couldn't see? And so Paul is saying that when he went to Galatia, the people loved him and they encouraged him and they nurtured him. And they said, and then he says, and though my condition was a trial to you, maybe they had to lead him around. Maybe they had to help him sit down and do whatever it was that he had to do. He says, you did not scorn or despise me, but receive me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Paul says, you know, you guys were so uh, just giving me that double honor. You guys esteemed me highly in love. And some of you even, you know, if you could have, you would have given me your own eyeballs. That's kind of like somebody loving somebody so much and says, you know, I, I need a kidney transplant. Well, I'll give you one of mine because I love you. I esteem you. I hold you in high regard and high value. And, and this is what Paul is getting across, that we do so to our leaders. You see, because otherwise, what ends up happening is the opposite of esteeming and holding up is looking down on people. When you look down on people because of where their background, their nationality, whatever the case may be, then what that does is it stirs up this strife. Look at what Proverbs ten twelve says. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Now, if, if you want to, if you want to, and, I, and you can if you like, you can examine my life very, very carefully with the fine-tooth comb. And I'm just going to be honest with you right now. You're going to find stuff that you're not going to like. I mean, you, you live with me. You talk with me. You hang out with me. You're going to see things. You're going to hear things. You're, going to, you know, you're just not going to like. And, and I, I need to apologize and I need to confess that if that's what I've done in the past, I'm going to continue to try to strive forward and grow in the likeness of Jesus Christ. Jesus wouldn't do that. Jesus wouldn't say that. Jesus wouldn't act that way. But if you look carefully in my life, you'll find stuff. You will. This is why Paul, uh, Peter wrote, because Peter was one of those kind of guys. Peter was a liar. He was brash. He was obnoxious. He was, you know, chopped that, lopped that guy's ear off. Malcolm, uh, you know, just chopped his ear off and wanted to charge everybody. And he told Jesus, I would never deny you. And then he does three times. Yeah. 
and, and, and look at this in 1 Peter 4, 8, Peter writes this, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Beloved, I know. He says, I personally experience the love of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you remember, but when Judas betrayed Jesus, he went out and he hung himself. And then when, G- when Peter denied Jesus, he went out and he wept bitterly is what the Bible says. I mean, I don't know how else you, to express that or explain that, but I'm sure he wanted to take his own life as well. He says, you know what? Jeez, I, I just, I can't believe I just did that. And he wept bitterly. All that night, all that day, the following day, and he was just nowhere to be found. On the first day of the week, Jesus resurrected. Jesus says, go and tell my disciples and Peter. Now, that's interesting because when you first read that out of the resurrection, you just, okay, go tell my disciples and Peter. Yeah, but, but you know, Jesus had in, in his heart, tell, tell Peter that I forgave him. Tell Peter that I have let all that go. Let Peter, let Peter know that everything is going to be okay. And this is why when they first heard about Jesus resurrecting, he was the first one to bolt out the door, but it was John, the, the younger apostle, that beat him because he was faster. And Peter was an old fat guy trying to run down the road, you know, trying to get to the, the tomb. And Peter was there when he heard about that. You know what, you know what, Peter? Jesus told us to tell the disciples, but Jesus also told me me to tell you that everything is going to be okay. And Peter learned from this. And if you read 1 Peter and 2 Peter, you look at those epistles, and then you look at the life of Peter, it just doesn't go. (laughs) Peter's matured, he's grown, he's developed. Why? Because love covers over a multitude of sins. Beloved, love each other. Oh yeah, we can sit here all day long and nitpick everybody's life. Uh, And we can find all kinds of things wrong with your life. We can't, but let's focus on loving earnestly, love one another, since, as Peter says, love covers over a multitude of sins. And if anyone should know that, it would be Peter. Number three, the sheep submit to the shepherd of Jesus. The sheep, what they do is they submit to the shepherd of Jesus. Paul says in verse 13, be at peace among yourselves. You know, and and this is... This is this shalom peace. This is not the absence of war peace. Shalom in the New Testament always meant, uh, you know, that, that everything is good. Everything is that when you say shalom in, in, in the uh, Hebrew language, when you, and this is the Greek Irene, where, where if you know anybody named Irene, her name, her name means peace. But this shalom that is proclaimed on another Jewish person. We're praying that everything is well, that you're, you're sufficiently taken care of, that everything is, is in, a, in a condition, that you are in a mentally sound state, that everything seems to be happening well for you. When we say shalom, we don't just say peace, like I'm glad we're not fighting type of peace. This is a wellness, a, a type of shalom you say before and after you, you meet with somebody. And this peace, Paul is saying that he says, I want this to be among you guys. Be at peace with one another. Be at peace that everything is sound and it's well and you're healthy and, and your, your communication with one another is growing and developing. And yeah, there, there was some stuff that happened. There were some things that took place. You know what? We have to just confess, repent, and move forward. And move forward. In Hebrews chapter 13, Paul says this, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the Word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. 
You cannot imitate their faith if you're not at peace with them. If there's something that is striving within you, take care of it. Take care of it, especially for your leaders and wherever you're at, especially for those that are admonishing you and teaching you and loving you and encouraging you. Those that are giving you sound doctrine. You know, you want to you want to be able to live at peace with one another. Consider the way of life. Look at look at their way of life. And here Paul is saying, yeah, look at it. Consider their way. But what you need to do is you need to imitate their faith, not their lifestyle, but their faith. In verse 17 of Hebrews 13, Paul says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. This verse here, I, it scares me. It literally just, I, I, I sometimes think, okay, Lord, not the whole part, but right in the middle where it says, as those who will have to give an account. One day I'm going to have to give an account for every word that I've said or didn't say, every, every message, every, everything that I've done. And I say a lot, <laughs> Right? I say a lot. And Paul is saying to the people, or actually the writer of the Hebrews is saying to the people, obey them. You know, listen to what they have to say. Submit to them. You know, because they're your leaders. They're appointed by God. They're at the church. They're the ones that are leading this, this congregation. They're keeping watch over you and over your souls. They're praying over your souls. They're praying over your family. They're praying for you. And one day they're going to have to give account. But, but the last part says, let them do this with joy. You know how difficult it is to get up every Sunday morning and try to preach to a congregation, you know, that doesn't like you? You know how difficult that is to be able to have to get up? And there was a pastor here one time years ago, and I'm saying right at the beginning, that he wasn't, they, they held him to scrutiny. They, they, they looked at his life. They, they, they checked him out, as Paul would say, you know, examine them, you know, look at them. Uh, look at that, consider the outcome of their life. And this pastor just wasn't keeping up with what the Bible was teaching. And so they told him, you know, pastor, uh, we're going to have to let you go. So he, that Sunday morning, he got up and he cursed this church. I, and he started pointing fingers and he started, you know, and this is a story I heard that happened probably about 50 years now ago. And, and it was just, you know, he was so mad and people just left and never came back. I don't know if that's part of what's happening now, but we, if that's the case, then we uncurse it in the name of Jesus. Amen? But it is difficult to have to come up here in love and try to really encourage the congregation when you know people are backbiting, yelling. For, you know, and we've had that in the past as well. We've, we have. And, and it's, it was difficult to do so. We've had, I mean, there was one time, oh, <laughs> there was one time somebody got upset at one of our members and I, I got mad back at them. And uh, it was, uh, yeah, we shouldn't have done it. Martha's saying, I I know who that was. (laughs) I was here. (laughs) Yeah, anyways, uh, and and it's difficult, believe me. Now, again, I'm not saying that this is all happening. What you are doing, you're doing it, and you're doing it well, and and because you know that this is what we, this is how we've been growing. This is how we've been growing spiritually, and Paul says, just continue doing that. But I want you to do it more. Because you know what? If you don't, that would be of no advantage to you. I can point to these people that I've been talking about or thinking about. I haven't talked about them. But these people that I'm thinking about, I can point to them and show you this, this is part of what's happened to their life, their health. Their, you know, A lot of them are no longer in, in churches. And a lot of them are just not part of 
the, uh, the, the fellowship because they never learned how to submit themselves to the leaders because everybody knows what's best, right? And, I, and I'll tell you, it's never no advantage to anybody else. Let them do this with joy. Stubborn, self-willed, unsubmissive sheep steal the joy from the shepherd. And not only do they steal the joy from the shepherd, but they steal the joy from the flock. People say, I don't want to go there. I mean, they're just going to start that again. You know, every time we get together, we have coffee and cheese, man. I mean, cheesecake. And we start just talking about the, you know, then after church, they go to get some tacos del pastor, you know, and they chew that pastor up, you know. And, uh, you know, it's just like, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to go there anymore. It's just not, it's not fun anymore. And it needs to be a joyful experience. Amen. Keep doing what you're doing is my call to you. And if you find yourself somewhere in that area that I talked about, then repent. Just repent. And you know what? I'm going to go forward from this place, this time forward, because it is of no advantage to you. The local church is to function as God has intended it to function. And its pastors must be responsible to labor, labor among the people, to exercise this authority over them and provide instructions to them. And at the same time, the people have the obligation to appreciate the pastors, esteem them, and submit to them. It's, it's, it's how it works. When both are fulfilling the respective responsibility, the church becomes unified and it just grows. Joyful, peaceful, healthy. The way God had intended it to be. And I pray, and I continue to pray for you, and I pray for those that are going to keep coming and that are going to grow because of what God is doing here. Not me, but because of what God is doing here. And we're going to disciple. We're going to help you grow. That is my goal as your pastor, and that is my promise to you before God and to God. Let me ask you to stand. What does it take to be a disciple? First and foremost, a disciple is a believer of Jesus Christ. Okay? That's what it is. A disciple is a follower, a learner. A disciple is one that has submitted to the Lordship of Christ. And they want to become more like their teacher, their master. And as a disciple, we learn. We're all disciples. Now, we we call the 12 apostles the 12 disciples. Every believer is a disciple. Every believer uh, and so because you're a disciple, you have different offices. The 12, they were apostles. They were disciples that were also given the office of apostles. And out of the disciples come the pastors, come the teachers, come the evangelists, come the, you know, those that do the ministry, come the church members. But every believer is not a, is not a, is not a disciple. There are some, some believers that don't want to learn. They don't want to, you know, they just want to come and have fun. They just want to be a part of the group. And they're, they're believers, but they're not disciples. They just want to come and have their guilt taken away for one moment, one day, one Sunday. If you're a believer, a genuine believer, your goal should be to want to be like Jesus Christ, is to be a disciple. And that's for every church, every Christian throughout the world. Because Jesus said this, you cannot be my disciple if you don't pick up your cross daily and follow me. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross daily and follow me. Now you've heard me talk about the cross before. The cross, and they knew what that meant, doesn't compromise. The cross always, always leads to death. When you pick up a cross, it takes you to the cross. It takes you to your death. 
You're no longer a part of the community. You are now isolated. You are now up there on this cross, and that's where you stay until the job is done, what the cross is supposed to do. Jesus said, pick that up and take it with you, knowing in their hearts and in their minds exactly what that meant. I got to execute myself? Yes. You need to execute your self-will, yourself, and follow me. And Jesus says, you don't do that? You can't be my disciple. So you want to be a believer? You know, uh, okay, you know, but unless you're willing to deny yourself, pick up your cross daily, daily, you cannot be one of my disciples. And I pray that you pray about this and you also get plugged into what it is that we're doing. Father in heaven, thank you once again. Thank you for what you are doing, Lord, in this ministry and how you are growing and what you're challenging us with. We have before us, Lord, a challenge that I pray you will fulfill it and you will see it grow. And Lord, I pray that you give us the discernment that we need to be able to put that into practice in our own lives. And that we look at everyone around us and, and to see who it is that we can bring along to be discipled in the same manner. So thank you, Lord, once again for this opportunity. I thank you for Paul's wisdom and how he is here sharing with us things that are already going on in the, this church, this model church. And he's just telling them to continue to do so as they are doing. So, Lord, I just want to thank you again for your love and your, your guidance in all things. And for all that you do, we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen and Amen. Thank you. Stick around for some fellowship.